This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Friday, October 25th. My name is Ben Ornstein, and I'm here today with Nathan Barry. Hey, Nathan. Hey. I'll start by just asking you what brings you to Boston. So I'm here for a couple of different things. First, uh, the Business of Software Conference. Mm-hmm. And then also I'm teaching a workshop uh, hosted here at ThoughtBot. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm co-teaching it with uh, my good friend Brennan Dunn. And uh, the topic is building profitable audiences. So it's something near and dear to my heart, having built uh, a blog audience and selling a few eBooks and courses and all of that over the last year. It's my favorite topic. So happy to get some people in person and... Uh, be able to just share what I've learned. Brandon has actually been on the podcast before, I think oh. twice now. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so we're, we're friendly with him as well. Yeah, he's great. So um, building a profitable audience as a, a task is what kind of let you quit your job, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I quit my job beforehand. It's what let me uh, more successfully <laughs> quit my job. Uh-huh. Uh, I When I quit my job back in uh, 2000, what year was that? 2011? Um, and yeah, October, 2011, I had some product income. I had an iPhone app that was making me about $2,000 a month, Mm -hmm. but it was pretty inconsistent. And, uh, then I did freelance work and I'd done freelance work before taking that job. So like three years earlier. So I was familiar with it. I knew there were lots of ups and downs in revenue from, from freelance and consulting. Mm -hmm. And so this time I'd saved up a bunch of money and I was going to, going to do it right. But the goal was always to get to products. And it wasn't until I started writing books that product revenue really turned into something that made my previous consulting income or my previous salary look rather small. So you, you was the first thing you made uh, the app design handbook? Was that the first? That was the first book, yeah. And that's where I got started building an audience. Um, basically, I had no idea that uh, you could make money from writing a book. I, I always wanted to write a book kind of as, uh, I, I just like teaching the, the idea of writing a book was really cool. I, and I'd started several books already, mm. but I never made much progress on that. And it wasn't until I think it was March 24th, 2012 that, uh, t- two great designers who are now friends of mine, uh, Sasha grief and Jared Drysdale mm-hmm. each came out with design eBooks on the same day entirely by chance. And they were kind enough to share the revenue numbers from their books. And in the first 48 hours, I think Sasha made $6,500 from his book and Jared made 8,000 from his. And I knew people had made money self-publishing before, but it was numbers like the guys at 37 Signals were saying, we made 200 grand off of getting real. Oh, now we're at 500 grand. Oh, we just broke a million. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't relate to those numbers at all Mm because there's no way I was going to have an audience on the same scale as uh, Jason and David. And so when, when I read these blog posts of people who had audiences that seemed achievable, that's what made me think not only could I write this book because I want to, but I could also make money from it. My goal was to make about $10,000 from writing a book on designing apps. And, uh, that's what I would have considered a success. Right. So, and what ended up happening? So I, I spent a few months writing it, started building up, um, 
put up a landing page, started capturing email addresses. I, I didn't learn till later that email is the way to communicate with an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed good at the time, so I started doing it. Yep. And uh, got to the point where I had 800 email subscribers. Combination of some came from Hacker News, some came from uh, a couple tutorials that I wrote. I'd have a email opt-in form at the bottom, and I'd link to my landing page, and I'd ask people to share the landing page and all of that. And what happened is when I launched the book in September 2012, it sold $12,000 worth on the first day. And uh, it, it has gone on to sell, I think it's over sixty or $70,000 worth from that one book. Awesome. Um, in, in a year. So considering my last salary was $60,000 as, as a designer, yeah, I was really, really happy to be making that off of a single book. And so you've, you've gone on from, from there to build sort of an empire within this world. It's interesting to me how like, a lot of your projects seem to kind of like mesh very well together. They sort of dovetail very nicely. Yeah. So that's something that everybody should do. I used to think about products in the sense of if it made money and was fun to build, it was a good thing to pursue. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. Uh, now I don't think that's true. Now I think of everything in terms of not could it be a successful product, but how does it fit with my audience? So if you have one product and so in my case, it was an ebook on design. Then I have uh, hundreds of people who have signed up to hear about it, a few hundred people who have purchased it. So then instead of going off in a totally different direction, I need to think about what, product, what other product can I create that uh, serves that same audience. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was another book um, on designing web applications instead of iPhone applications. I figured... Most designers are going to care about um, both, or at least there's going to be some great overlap. And so what that enabled me to do is I didn't throw away all the work that I'd done. Like if I were to go pursue some, you know, building some nifty iPhone app for a totally different audience, I would basically have to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And instead, you know, three months after releasing the App Design Handbook, I came out with Designing Web Applications and uh, I did a little over double launch on that one. So it did $26,500 in sales in the first 24 hours. Wow. Did $50,000 in its first three weeks, first four weeks. And that one's actually been my best-selling book mm. to date. So it's, it's done very well. And the great thing is any work I put into promoting one of those books helps benefit the other. So I highly recommend you look at what products you have right now and I kind of think of them as Venn diagrams of like how the audience for those products overlap. Mm-hmm. Draw some kind of circle where you decide this is my audience, maybe as tightly as possible, fitting in a few of those products. Or if you just have one, you know, think about what products could you come out with that will serve the same audience and then kill off every other product that doesn't fit within that circle. Yeah. It's just wasting your time. I had this iPhone app that targeted a totally different audience it was making a little bit of money, but it was taking up too much space in my head. Mm. Any work I put into promoting that did not help. You know, there were no fringe benefits from it. Yeah, and no synergy. So, yes. And so I, you know, I sold it off, got rid of it. It's interesting to hear uh, how audience focused you are. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even about like, make sure you build an awesome product and then this will happen. It's like, figure out who 
listens to you and who regards you as an expert on certain topics and to whom you can sell things, basically. Because the hard part, it sounds like, or the harder part, maybe, is not just building something that's good or writing a book that is good. It's getting people to know about it. So if you can do something that leverages the audience that's already listening to you and already trusts you, you're so much farther ahead of the game. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I feel like the the point we're at making products on the web, that making great products is like the barrier to entry. You just have to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so now we're going beyond that. Now that everybody's making great products, how are we going to market and sell them? Right. And so... I, so I guess to me, it, it just goes without saying that you must make great products. Sure. But the way, I guess we've talked a bit about audiences, um, but the way you get uh, an audience, and this took me quite a while to learn, is all you have to do is teach, right? You think about the people that you know who are who are well-known online. What separates you from them in most cases is that they write down all the ideas that they're talking about. They write those Rails tutorials. They write all of that, whereas you just work on your contract projects in quiet. You know, you don't share what you're learning. And so people aren't don't teach because they're an expert. They become an expert because they taught all along the way. Mm-hmm. I had this experience where I started giving talks on refactoring mm-hmm. because it was what I was interested in and I wanted to get better at it and I wanted to learn more about it. And so, like, I would learn some stuff, and then I would go give a talk on it and, like, just basically summarize and, you know, synthesize and regurgitate what I had learned already. And then after a few months of that, like, people were referring to me like, oh, that refactoring guy, Dan. And I'm like, I'm the refactoring guy? Like, I was doing this because I didn't know anything about it, really. It's, it's funny how much just starting to teach it, even if you're teaching what feels to you like the basics that you've just sort of just picked up has, is really effective for establishing yourself as an authority on something. Yeah, and the great thing about that is you don't have to go into teaching pretending to be someone you're not. You can mm-hmm. say, I'm just learning this. Let me share with you what I learned. Totally. And there, in some ways, it's, it's really good. Like, Well, the example I like to use is if somebody's just learning Ruby and Rails, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things that you're going to come across that are frustrating, confusing. And if you turn to somebody who's been doing it for years and years and years, and you ask them, like, how do I get past this? They're going to know it, but they're going to forget. Like, they'll have a hard time understanding that you don't understand those concepts. Right, absolutely. Because they're so fundamental, and they've, been, they've known them for, for many years. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone else who maybe is six months ahead of you, they just went through that, and they're like, oh, yeah. That was really frustrating. Here's how I learned it. And and so often, if you were a beginner more recently, mm-hmm. you can relate better and you can teach on those beginner levels. So Totally. And I, I tell that, so I, I mentor um, beginner and intermediate Rails developers pretty frequently. And I'm often telling them, especially the ones that want to get hired, I'm like, you need to blog immediately. You need to be mm-hmm. writing about everything you learn should be a blog post. And they're like, yeah, but this stuff is so basic. And I'm like, right, it is, but that's okay. Like, write a blog post that the you from three months ago would have loved to have found. Like, just write what you've learned in the last 90 days is going to be an awesome blog post. It's okay that the stuff you have is basic. That's totally fine. Yeah, there's always someone who knows less about the topic than you do. Mm-hmm. And, and there are people who want to know more. And I'm not going to complain if three different people explain the same concept in slightly different ways. Totally. I'm going to be thrilled because... Sometimes, you know, I'm not a very good programmer. Right? Sometimes it takes me a few different times of reading the same thing to, to understand the concept. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's true for most people. I uh, I've, I remember seeing that you had been on a streak a year long of writing a thousand words a day. I mean, you put out a blog post about this. Are you still on your streak? Yeah, I am. Awesome. Um, I have to look at what the number is. It's it's well over four hundred days in a row. That's something that. It, when you think about the big things that you want to make happen, like writing a book, there's quite a few people doing it now. I've written a couple, but it's still a really, really daunting task. Mm -hmm. Like it, for some reason, even if you're good at writing blog posts, it still seems really hard to write a book. And so I started to think about those big goals and making it happen. And my, my process was to work on things when I was inspired and, and that was great for a little while. That's how I started writing a couple books and never made it past the outline and, and the first few pages. Mm -hmm. So what I finally learned, thanks to my friend, Chris Gillibo is that you can make really, really big things happen if you just make slow, consistent progress. Mm -hmm. So I got the writing a thousand words a day from him because he, he wrote a blog post and he was talking about you know, it's not that hard to write a uh, hundred posts for your own blog, a traditionally published book, two self-published books, and like 50 guest posts all in one year. If you just write a thousand words a day. Mm -hmm. And at the time writing a thousand words a day sounded really daunting. Mm -hmm. um, but that's only like two and a half pages or so. You mm -hmm. can do it. And so... Uh, back when I was writing the app design handbook, I'd made some progress on it, but I still wasn't sure if I was going to finish it. Cause I, I had a bad habit of not finishing things Yeah, and I just started chipping away at it. Uh, I started using a little iPhone app I wrote called commit to track the progress. And, uh, it, 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 I get like five days in a row and then miss a day and it'd break my, my streak. And then, you know, eventually I, I think it was beginning of July, 2012, I started that streak that kept going. And so by the time I launched the app design handbook, I had like 70 days in a row of writing a thousand words a day. And the day after it came out, after the book came out, my phone popped up and says, said, Hey, were you going to write a thousand words today? And I thought, what am I going to write about? I finished my, my book, mm. you know, I accomplished it. But then it had that little indicator of, 75 days in a row or whatever it was. And I thought there's no way I'm going to break. Now that I have that chain of 75 days in a row, there's no way I'm going to break it. Mm -hmm. And so I just immediately started writing the next book. And so in a year I wrote, uh, three books, built a new SaaS application, um, and, and built a blog audience from zero subscribers to 10,000, and really what it came down to, like the, the one defining thing of all of that, aside from learning that you need to teach, once I had that lesson down, uh, it was just making slow, consistent progress. Mm. And every day, no matter what, make some amount of progress towards that next goal. And so I, I still write a thousand words a day. Um, sometimes, like when I travel, I, I mix it up a little bit. So I'll write, you know, 3,000 words on a flight to Europe and then, you know, relax a bit for a couple of days or catch up if I need to. Um, but the point is that lots of content, lots of things get, get done. Mm -hmm. Um, 
on a consistent basis. Outside of that um, writing habit, what do your days look like? What are you working on most these days? Uh, so I spend a lot of time writing. That's that's really the the biggest uh, the biggest thing. I'm not great with other habits and you know perfect productivity or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I bounce around to a lot of different things. Uh, designing and coding new features for ConvertKit, which is the email marketing application that I run. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time thinking about my current audience and what I can help them learn, what they're struggling with, and and what I can help them learn. So I've got a book called Authority, which is on building an audience and you know writing and selling that first ebook. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting a lot of emails from people about they'd made it to that first point in the ebook, but they weren't, or maybe they were about to launch or, or had just launched that first ebook and they weren't sure where to go from here. And so that was kind of a pain point for a lot of people in my audience. And so that's when I started writing and talking a lot more about thinking beyond just one product and thinking about a whole audience. So now uh, I'm putting together a second course on how to take that one product and build it into a little bit of a product empire like I've done or like Brennan done. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, what you guys have here at ThoughtBot, you know, you're, you're targeting one audience. You can come out with a bunch of different products to all serve them. There's fantastic cross-selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm writing about a lot now. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, briefly ConvertKit. Um, that, which is a SaaS app that you created. Can you t- talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, kind of by accident, I discovered that email is the best way to stay engaged with your audience. When I came out with those first two books, I was surprised to learn that the conversion rates on email were higher than every other channel combined. Mm. And not only that, I struggled for a long time to get that first hundred RSS subscribers to my blog. Mm-hmm. And then I learned that like, they just weren't even really very engaged and I didn't know who they were. When I started with those email forms, getting a hundred email subscribers was way, way easier. Um, and the conversion rates were higher. I've actually run some numbers and in my audience, um, an individual, as far as when you combine click through rates, conversions and, and all of that, and the products I've sold, um, an email subscriber is worth at least 15 times as much as a Twitter follower. Hmm. I talk to other people in like the internet marketing spaces, and they're like, "Uh huh, yeah, we've known that, you know, since yeah, 2002, yeah." And so I'm a little late to the party there. You know, I learned the that real online business is done over email in 2012, but as I was kind of figuring out my techniques uh, for launching products and uh, selling these books, I was hacking around MailChimp. I had specific ways of doing things that worked really well, um, but they either didn't work in the tools I was using them or uh, they were a whole lot of work to set up. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to start building my own tool. Um, I validated it that other people had the same problem as well. Uh, and that's where ConvertKit came out of it. So, so uh, it's based around building an audience as quickly as possible and launching products to that audience. And it's uh, it's a smaller focused product, um, but 
I guess generally competes with MailChimp and Aweber, um, just on a much smaller scale. Right. So you basically you you go in there and create a landing page, usually with some sort of incentive, like, hey, read the first chapter of something or read a sample or something like that in exchange for your email address. And then it fires off an email course, more or less? Yeah. So it's great at giving away that, that first incentive. I like to give uh, maybe a video course... Um, uh, you know, a free guide, a sample chapter, any of those things. Mm-hmm. And then uh, ConvertKit makes it really easy to follow up with an email sequence. Mm-hmm. So it could be something where, you know, my favorite example is uh, like on the sales page of a book. You want to download the sample chapter. I always give people a link to just download the PDF right there. But uh, have a little form where it's put in your email address, get the sample chapter sent to you. That's great, like if you want it on your iPad or on your phone or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's an opt-in box that says like, I'd like to get a free 30 day course on designing better web applications mm-hmm. when that's what my book is about. Right. And so then over the next 30 days, there's this autoresponder series that goes out maybe eight emails and, um, it just teaches content, teaches and teaches, and it's all stuff related to the book or from the book. And then I just work in, you know, reminders, soft sells, and then maybe one or two dedicated emails in that series that are, Hey, if you're enjoying this, you should, you should pick up the book. Mm-hmm. Um, too many times people, you know, you click through from hacker news or Twitter and you go, Oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll buy it later. And you wander off, um, and never come back. So mm-hmm. email is a great way to keep reminding people over time, keep them engaged mm-hmm. and, uh, it works really well for selling products. Yeah, and it also it, it builds up trust before asking to sell something. Yes. Like giving right. someone your email address is a fairly small request as opposed mm-hmm. to like give me your credit card and, and purchase this thing. And so you have a chance to show like, look, I'm going to teach you this awesome stuff and then I'm going to do it again. And like clearly you know what you're talking about and right. you write well and it's engaging. So the book is going to be awesome. Yeah. Sometimes I think of it as you go to like a business networking event and you're talking to somebody and it's like, oh, you design software. Or, you know, you, you work with software. I wrote this great book. You should buy it. And they're like, uh, who are you? We, we seriously just met 20 seconds ago. Right. And that's what it's, what it's like when, you know, you click through from a random link, end up on a sales page from someone you've never heard of, and they're like, buy this product. And the first thought is, I don't know who you are. I don't know why I should trust you. I don't know why this product is good. But if you're going to give me something for free on that sales page and offer to give me a whole bunch more free stuff, I might take you up on that. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of a couple of weeks of you teaching me more great things, then I go, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, yeah, I'll check out his product. Mm-hmm. So yeah, building trust over time uh, is great. And it's wonderful that you can do it in an automated way through email. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you built, when you, when you started building ConvertKit, you announced like an app or a web app challenge for yourself and you wanted to get to a certain number in a certain amount of time so back in july uh you said you had uh just under twenty five hundred dollars in recurring revenue have you has growth been good are you happy with how it's gone uh growth has been been slow Mm -hmm. so i started it in january and i didn't actually have an idea of what i was building at the time and the fun thing about about that is i I just shared the entire process publicly yep. uh, and that got a lot of attention. And uh, so if you try to do something big, do it in public, give people a way to follow along, teach as you go. 
then that's a great way to build an audience. As you said, my goal was to get to 5,000 a month in recurring revenue by July. I got to about 2,500. And then I kind of took a break from marketing it, uh, did some traveling over the summer. Um, and I, th- I think I still have some work to figure out like the exact right audience to sell ConvertKit to. There's mm-hmm. some messaging things I need to work out. Um, so I've only added about $500 in monthly recurring revenue mm-hmm. in the last couple months. Um, but it's one of those things, once I wrap up this bit of traveling, um, I plan to double down on it because sell, I, I like selling a tool. Training Selling training is great, but a tool gets – it enables so many more things. Mm. The recurring revenue is fantastic compared to – you know, maybe a one-time book sale. Right. The way I see it is all of the, the, the books and, and training that I sell are kind of the, the shorter term game, maybe in the next you know, two years. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll always be doing that in some form. Uh, but then ConvertKit is the, the real business, I guess, that I want to build up. Yeah. That was one of my questions was sort of the, what the long-term picture looks like. I feel like most people make this jump from one-off sales to recurring revenue eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the way I always think about revenue is one you should you should never diss on revenue. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> like sometimes people in the product world are like, "Oh, consulting is terrible. You shouldn't do it." Or, you know, or they they downplay it, but it's money coming in and you can build well, as you guys know, you can build a great business right. off of that. So, I would consider consulting revenue to be one thing, then one-time product revenue to be the next level that you want to get to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, recurring product revenue as kind of the holy grail of, of business. Right. But it's, it's hard to sell a recurring subscription if you don't have trust yet, if you don't have an audience. Mm-hmm. And so Gail Goodman has this talk from business of software from years ago, the long, slow SAS ramp of death. Yep. And it's so true. Even these companies like Constant Contact that get to hundreds of millions of dollars in in recurring product revenue, it took them forever to get there. And they never had hockey stick growth. Uh, they just worked away at it. And so that's where you eventually want to be. But, you know, do that consulting. Sell those one-time products um, so that you can have the runway to eventually get there. Yeah, that that long ramp of death is is very familiar to me now as someone <laughs> r- growing a, a subscription based you know recurring revenue business. But you found that right that that selling an ebook one time is a much easier sell than selling a subscription to more training, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but long term, the subscription is way better, both for your business and also for the customer, and that they're going to keep getting more great content from you. Right. Totally. Um, just takes a long time to grow it. Yes. It's and, and and like them, it's like, it's been steady, but there's no hockey stick. It's like, yeah, we just keep making it better every day. We keep just trying to chip away at the problem and, and make mm-hmm. it and fix the little things and, and keep trying to do good work. But it's a, it's a long, slow grind, I think. Yeah. And the, the revenue curves of, of an ebook and a recurring mm. business are, are totally different. Right. Opposite where, and this was, a big thing for me in end of last year when I had a whole bunch of product revenue, I think I was at almost a hundred grand in like four months of product revenue. And that was 
totally crazy to me, but I realized it was all this huge spike at launch and then it was declining over time Mm -hmm. and no good business wants to see their revenue declining over time. Right. And so that's when, you know, I, I knew I had to add recurring revenue to that may not be the only source of income, you know, and right now it's a very small source of income, but it is growing over time. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you ever, do you think you'll ever return to working for another person? Do you, are you loving working for yourself? Uh, I'd love working for myself. I don't, I don't think I would ever go back. The one thing that really bothered me about working for another company was having to fill out uh, vacation time off requests. Mm-hmm. It, for some reason, it just really bothered me to have to ask to take time off. Uh, maybe it was the company I was working at or, you know, a bunch of factors in there, but, mm-hmm. uh, I love to travel and, and I love that what I do now lets me travel whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So I know you've been in a handful of podcasts and things like that. Um, and then, and now on this one, is there anything that, uh, you never get asked that you wished you were asked about? Um, one of my passions is, is helping other people make money. I was out on this maybe two years ago. Uh, I went four wheeling with some friends. And so we're up in the mountains outside of Boise where, where I live and grew up and, and we're riding along. And I said, you know what? You know, we stopped for a bit and said, let me lead for a while. I want to show you guys something or, and I want to check up on something. And, uh, I rode off, you know, rode off onto another road, a couple miles and, so we're up in the mountains, but there's still a fair number of houses around. And I pulled up next to this tiny little uh, red house. I guess very, very tiny house. Maybe somewhere between a uh, uh, a shed and a house. It's very small. And took a picture of it because I hadn't seen it in years. And that was and so my friends were asking, like, what are we doing here? And I said, that's the house where I was born. And it was really, really cool to see it again. It's just the, you know, I don't know. It's probably 500 square feet or something like that up in the mountains. And, uh, cause I grew up in a pretty poor family mm-hmm. and I watched the impact that, that not having enough money made on every other aspect of life, mm-hmm. even just, you know, an extra $500 a month or something like that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And so I have a bit of a passion now for helping people to get that $500 a month, that $1,000 a month in extra revenue, because I think it makes a huge difference in quality of life and stress and just not worrying about money. It, 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 I think it impacts every aspect of your life. Mm. And so I think about, all the you know uh, designers and developers and and everybody who's uh, working in a job, whether they like the job or not, but what kind of a difference would it make if you added you know wrote an ebook, uh, started teaching what you knew, and added an extra five hundred or a thousand dollars in revenue? How would that change your life? How would that view your perception of yourself and what you could accomplish? And, and I think it makes a really big impact. So that, that's my passion. Uh, there's all, all these methods around building an audience and perfect pricing to generate more revenue and, and all of that. Um, but ultimately for me, it comes down to helping people make a little bit more money uh, for a much higher quality of life. Awesome.
that's perfect stopping point. <laughs> I like it a lot. Well, thanks very much for stopping by. Uh, I'm, it's nice to have you in Boston. It's going to be fun to do that workshop, and uh, I'll see you at Business of Software. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 72, 72nd episode. Uh, oh, Nathan, if people want to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? You can go to nathanberry.com. Uh, Barry's B-A-R-O-Y. And uh, that's my blog. Um, if you want kind of all my information on launching products, I put together it in a little email course at nathanberry.com slash launch. Uh, you can go sign up there. It's free. Awesome. Great. Uh, That's it. Thanks for listening.